here we are. This is Sex Love Psychedelics, and I'm your host, Dr. Kat. Bringing you psychosexual conversations that will leave you intellectually turned on and hungry for more. Hey, lovers. Okay, I'm opening this episode with a personal reminder that perhaps you need to hear as well. But something that's been circulating in my field as a result of some surprising events that really rocked my world and tested my inner stability and tested the do you know yourself to the core. The question of (laughs) what is our own personal relationship with the mystery of life? It is always there, this mystery. Whether we want to own it or not, whether we cling to the illusion of certainty or not, it still flows on, leading us down this river of the way that life wants to reveal itself. Where does it go? Nobody knows. Not really. And this can either be terrifying or it can be exciting and enlivening. How this gnosis becomes enlivening is that we build that relationship with it. Again, the mystery of life. As it continues to unfold, as it has continued to unfold for all of time. And what I love about this episode is that there is a lot of talk about where we can find our power to create, to manifest, to regulate ourselves and to create a life from the seat of pleasure and desire. Even in the times where we feel helpless, identifying what we have and what we can do to inspire our power again is invaluable. So here, We are with my dear friend, with whom I have been on worlds of adventures with, Emily Fletcher. But before we get to Emily, this coming May 2024, I will be leading Exhale, which is a femme ketamine retreat here in Malibu, California. And I'm sure you've heard a lot of different perspectives around ketamine, and I will share with you that it is such a beautiful medicine when it is held with sacred reverence and intention. When we're in a container that is really safe and attuned to us, ketamine can support us in being able to access the sense of softness and safety in our bodies, the sense of everything is okay. I will be okay. And I personally hold a very strong, attentive, and powerful container for this to unravel. And I have seen profound states, insights and resolution to treatment, resistant emotional pain and patterns of protection. And if you want to hear about the experiences that I had personally or about what it's like for ketamine assisted therapy around sensuality and couples, then check out my podcast episodes about this exact thing. I would love for you to be a part of this upcoming retreat exhale with us. This is four days of deep dives, somatic practices, integration, and continuing community. I'm including the link in the landing page and the application in the show notes. So definitely reach out if this is calling you or piquing your curiosity. 
Now to Emily Fletcher. Emily is a world-renowned meditation teacher, the founder of Ziva Program for Meditation, which is actually really awesome. I took it online. It's really great. Highly recommend for everybody. She is the podcast host of the Why Isn't Everyone Doing This? I've also been a guest on that in, on that show. Best-selling author and alchemical teacher teaching her practice, The Sacred Secret, which is what we're going to dive into today. And she's also one of my good friends that I've had the pleasure of creating some of the most epic magical adventures of all times. Thanks, babe, for coming on to the show. I'm stoked to have you. I can't believe we're just now doing this. I feel like we've lived so many <laughs> lifetimes together, made so much mischief and magic together. And I've been such a fan of you and your work and this show for so long that I feel so excited to get to share our love with the world. Oh my God, me too. Me too. And truly, I think I think that we should make every time we hang out a podcast, but that's just my... <laughs> it, it, the question is, is the world ready? Is the world ready? Because <laughs> I'm not sure they can handle the truth. <laughs> I, you know... From day one of meeting you <laughs> to today, yeah, I don't, I don't know either because I do remember when we first met, which was in our friend Layla Martin's backyard, and we were doing some some rituals with energy and manifestation and sexual energy and sexual pleasure, um, touching ourselves, and all of a sudden I'm like, I'm like writhing on the floor. I'm like, yes. And calling this in. And I look up and there's this like beaming angel on her knees, just, just shaking with pleasure. And that's you by the way. And, and I was like, oh my God, you know, that was the beginning of our friendship. If that says anything at all about the rest of it. Yeah. And also I'll say that I think right after I was shaking with pleasure, I then was nails deep in the earth, sobbing, crying. Cause I was yeah. about two months into a very intense divorce process. And I just want to like frame that, you know, the agony and the ecstasy that can be the same, you know, different sides of the same coin. And right after that, all of you amazing angel humans, just wrapping your love around me. And I felt so held and so supported to just purge all of that and then mm -hmm. alchemize all of that. And, mm -hmm. um, and it ended up being a really powerful manifestation ritual. Yeah. You know, I think that's a really important part to highlight it in the vernacular of spiritual, you know, um, um, you know, ideologies. I think we oftentimes think of the, the high highs, the, you know, um, only feel pleasure, only feel good, only, you know, good vibes, Love and only. Light, good vibes only. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we forget that there's so much sacredness in the pain, the agony, the anger, you know, these other emotions that we've demonized or that we've said aren't spiritual. And and yet I think this is where the magic lies in the in this intersection of these pieces. Mm, I would totally agree and I would even argue that you can't touch your pleasure yeah. if you are not willing to handle your pain. Like it's a good luck feeling the full height of your ecstasy if you spent four decades numbing your pain. And it's not like we have to manufacture it. It's, you know, certainly it's like, if you're having a great day, great. If you're on a high, then enjoy the high. But we don't want to put a happy face sticker on top of a gaping wound. You know, mm -hmm. oftentimes we need to go in and acknowledge and address and feel. And then the beautiful thing is that the simple answer is that feelings are meant for feeling. I mean, you know this better than anyone. And so once we give those feelings the microphone and let them be expressed, 
they will usually take a back seat. And what I find is that they make space for more joy, more pleasure, more ecstasy, and they can actually turn into alchemical fuel. Mm -hmm. You can take that fear and darkness and then alchemize it into fuel for your dreams. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And let's break that down. Why do you think that is that, you know, it could be because I agree, it's like a pendulum. The more that you can feel the depth of the the pain, you can also feel the height of the pleasure. Like, why Mm. do you think that that is? Well, I think that because we've not been trained how to feel since we've, we've been told since infancy, shh, 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 don't cry, have a bottle, don't cry, have an iPad, don't yeah. cry, have a new toy, and then have some booze, then have some pills. Then ha- So we've just been numbing, 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 numbing. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I went through a pandemic <laughs> and I got a divorce and my friends are all dying of cancer, but I'm fine. And like, meanwhile, we're just like living between a four and a six and we're not really willing to let ourselves feel the full excitement or anticipation of the good because Mm -hmm. we're not willing to fully go in and feel the depth of the agony of the pain. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, if we let go of the idea of good or bad, right or wrong, which one of my favorite concepts from the Vedas is you know, there's no such thing as good or bad. There's no such thing as right or wrong. There's only creation, maintenance, and destruction. And Shakespeare said this best, that there nothing is either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. Yeah. So I think if we were not trained since infancy that our fear, our rage, our sorrow was bad, if we actually had models of what it looked like to feel that, to process it and to move on, if we didn't didn't personalize that Mm -hmm. as children, I think we would be less terrified of it and then we would just practice it. You know, and a lot yeah. of cultures do this. You know, you go to, you know, I'm from the South. So, you know, if you go to like a, a funeral at um, like a certain denomination, they're ecstatic events. People are wailing and crying and dancing. And they're, it's like they're transmuting and alchemizing that grief in real time. Mm-hmm. So there are pockets of civilization that still do this, that still alchemize their pain. But I think that by and large in this sort of like, patriarchal colonial Christian culture that most people have been influenced by were just like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. And so then if you can actually go in and and carve out, it's like that Rumi quote, the pain carves out space for more joy. Mm -hmm. Um, And then if you're willing to dance with the darkness, you make space for more ecstasy, more bliss. Yeah. Yeah. And I think even to see what the relationship is with these big feelings or, you know, why we're, we're contracting or saying, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. I know for me and mm-hmm. my own process, it's been, you know, me showing big emotions will scare people. Nobody will be able to hold me in big emotions. So then I'm mm-hmm. going to feel the emotion and then I'm going to become a puddle on the ground and nobody's going to be able to pick me up and I'm going to be lost as this little puddle of emotion on the floor. And I think that's really common one for women, you know, yeah. as as this collective woman, you know, don't show your emotions, you're going to hurt somebody. Don't show the, your power, you're going to hurt somebody mm-hmm. or nobody's going to be able to be there for you. So you're going to be lost to the void. Yeah. And I'll say that in my personal journey, what I'm finding is how can I find a model of the healthy masculine Mm. and hold myself in that? Like, how can I strengthen my own internal healthy masculine so that I can hold myself Mm -hmm. so that I know I have my own back so that I am advocating for little Emily. I have like photos of little Emily here. Oh my God. That's so cute. Come on. Can you even handle just like smiling. Oh my God. So I'm just, I'm like, I'm putting up altars to little Emily everywhere over my house so that I can befriend her. And so that I can 
become that healthy masculine container, which will make, which will allow my feminine expression and feeling to feel more safe. And I'm just, you know, I'm by no way doling out advice on this because I'm just a baby on this journey, but it's a theme that keeps coming up again and again and again for me. And so I think I like to share it because sometimes the most specific personal um, revelations can have the most universal impact because someone might have their own version of that. Like maybe they need to find their internal feminine. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's been a really potent process for me so far. And I will say, speaking back to Layla, our mutual friend, yeah, there was one time again when I was like deep, dark in the divorce and just feeling so many feelings. And I think because of her capacity to hold the darkness and because of her capacity to hold herself, when I saw her, she just said, how are you? And I just, I melted into a puddle Mm. of tears. I started weeping, sobbing, crying. And she just crawled behind me and held me quite literally physically. And then she said, what if the love is bigger than the pain? Mm. Like, like you can feel all of this pain because your love is even bigger. And she just reminded me of that. And so sometimes I think it is true. Like, I think it is true that sometimes the bigness of our emotions cannot be held by certain people and our bodies know that and they don't feel safe enough to fully surrender. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important to either find that and source that inside of ourselves or to find people that our bodies will surrender to and know that we feel safe and held by. Yeah. And I think both and, and, Mm -hmm. and I imagine me as a therapist, I, model that container. Like I am the container for somebody to be able to fall apart. And I hold the qualities of presence and compassion and curiosity and, and, um, non-reactivity and to Mm. be able to hold that so that they can learn what it's like to be their own container, to be their own, you know, masculine in in a sense, you know, using the words that you used, uh, so that they can also access their chaos, the depth of their chaos and their big emotions and their power in that, where, you know, if something's not holding us, whether it's ourselves or somebody else, the chaos destroys. Yeah, that makes sense. The chaos destroys if it can't be expressed, Yeah, which is the same thing with big feelings. Like if they can't be expressed, then energy either creates or it destroys. I like one of the proudest moments of my life maybe last week. So I have a five-year-old son, um, which, you know, and so (laughs) in addition to like teaching sacred sexuality and teaching people to use their sexual energy to manifest before this, I actually made a kid's meditation training, which I had some internal like, uh, angst about in the beginning. I was like, can I really have a kid's meditation training and sacred secret at the same time? And now I'm like, yes, Emily, where do you think kids came from? It's all good. (laughs) Um, so anyway, in Ziva kids, um, there's a thing called the stormies. So I teach kids that there's like mad stormies, sad stormies, scared stormies, and they learn that their happiness is always inside of them, but that the emotions, they, they, they come and go like rainstorms. And if you just let the storm happen, then on the other side is some new weather system. Right. And so mm-hmm. anyway, my son was like, mommy, I'm having some mad stormies. Can you put on a mad song? And so I put on this rage song and we just started punching pillows and stomping and he rips his shirt off. And I was like, oh my gosh. And he goes, and then he goes, mommy, now I need to dance some sad stormies. And I was like, okay, buddy. And we're just fake crying to Adele and rolling around on the ground. And then he goes, now can we dance our silly stormies? And I was like, yeah, bro. And we put on, I am a gummy bear. And we just had a full blown dance party. And it was the one of the most proud moments of my life because he's basically leading me through emotional alchemy, like through yeah. this methodology that I'm teaching on retreats and, yeah. and online. And he's leading me through. 
through it and uh-huh. feeling his feelings and expressing his feelings and then having so much fun. And I just felt like I had won the cosmic lottery and I felt like I, I wanted like a mom trophy or something because I felt so proud. <laughs> <laughs> I I love that. And, and there's something so beautiful about the innocence of a child to mirror back to us, you know, the play, the, the important, the power of play in, in this alchemical process of our, you know, what we take so seriously of our emotions. Oh yeah, let's find play. (laughs) Yes. And, and what's, and this has been a big learning for me too. And I attribute this to one of my assistants, Phoebe, she assists me on my retreats, but I I was saying like, we're going to go into the rage. We're going to go into the sorrow and then we're going to alchemize it into (laughs) bliss. Like we're going to use the turn on to alchemize it into something else. And she, and she corrected me and she's like, no, actually you can find ecstasy in the expression of the rage. You can find ecstasy in the expression of the sorrow. And that felt like a really important note for me because as a self-proclaimed healing people pleaser, as a self-proclaimed recovering codependent, I've been Mm -hmm. very conflict avoidant and I do have a tendency to bypass. I do have a tendency to just want to go to the love and light. And I realized like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm putting this, I'm shaming the sorrow and the rage, even in my vernacular. Mm-hmm. And so now I have shifted that. And so it's like, no, we're going to find the ecstasy in the expression of the big feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. And I, I think, you know, Regina Thomas does a practice to the swamping and, and you've lived with her and we've, we've done these practices with her, you know, of transmuting the, going into the anger, the swamping practices and going into it and eroticizing it and turning it into something sexy. Yes. And like just deep reverence and gratitude to Regina Thomas, our AKA Mama Gina, mm-hmm. um, for, for inspiring this emotional alchemy, like emotional alchemy has evolved from that. Yeah. And she yeah. has given me her blessing to adapt it. And, and it's now evolved into something that I call emotional alchemy. And we're using a little bit more of parts work, like almost internal family systems yes. where you get to go in and there's those protector parts that do get angry. And the protector parts are protecting those inner younger, you know, more sad and vulnerable parts. And so it's, it's, um, it's just been such a beautiful evolution and deep, deep gratitude and reverence to Regina. Yeah. You know, I, and, and I'll just shout this out too. We have such a powerful collection of, of girlfriends where we're constantly learning from each other, supporting each other, you know, asking curiosities of each other and, and, um, growing our skills even more because of each other. And I think that that is something to really share with the rest of the world, the behind the scenes of this, because there's enough of this pattern of women shaming each other or, um, exiling each other because competing with each other. Yeah. 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 But we learn from each other. There's a power in learning and doing this together. Yeah. And, and thank you for naming that and highlighting that because we we're so outrageously fortunate to have this circle of, you know, it is intelligent, accomplished, powerful, brave, generous friends that are doing such big work in the world. And I will be the first to name that, you know, I've been, I was teaching meditation, mostly meditation for performance for 13 years. And when I met Layla, 
And on our second date, um, she basically, she led like a co-ed, like manifesting ritual using sexual energy. And it changed my life. She said for tens of thousands of years, ecstasy was seen as a purifying force. And that one sentence, like it shook me because I was raised Southern Baptist. I grew up with so much sexual shame and conditioning, so much mm-hmm. of people telling me what I should and shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. And when she said that, it just resonated as so true. I was like, oh, Right that ecstasy could actually purify the body, could help remember, help you remember your own divinity. And it was one of those things that I couldn't unhear and it changed the trajectory of my life and my career. And I've spent the past three years birthing Sacred Secret very much inspired by that one sentence that Layla said. Uh-huh, yeah. And I remember us talking on the phone. You were talking to me and you were like, I don't know, I want to, I feel called to do this, you know, the, bring in the erotic, the um, sexual energy into the meditation practices. I was like, fuck yeah, girl. And you're like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, of course, duh. And you're like, but I don't know how the world is going to take this. How's my audience going to take that? And so for people out there who are tapping into their sexuality, into their erotic power, into just pleasure, like the concept of pleasure in their body, how were you able to embrace that publicly and claim that publicly that this is how you are operating now? Mm, and managing, yeah, managing that, that, uh, reflection or, you know, the challenge of the world or yeah. Yeah. I think it's like anything that you're afraid of, that the anticipation of it is so much more intense than the actual thing. Like if you have, if you have a tough conversation, you have to have with a friend or a roommate or a parent, it's like the anticipation makes you a little sick and you're so scared of it and you avoid it. And then when you have it, it's like, oh, great. Okay. And I felt like I spent years preparing and posturing and getting my audience ready and, and warming them up. And then it was like, when it happened, it was just like, oh yeah, girl, high five, get, let's go. You know, we were prepared to lose like at least 10% of our audience, at least 10% of our mailing list. Like we had prepared the business for that. And all we really got was like celebration and high five. And it felt like an indicator that the world is really ready, that that they're just like we're in this psychedelic revolution. I yeah. think we're on the cusp of a sexual revolution as well. And thanks largely to the work that you've been doing as well. I really want to acknowledge the roads that you've been paving and the legitimate legitimacy that you've been bringing by bringing you the bravely this work to YPO and to conferences and to businesses. <laughs> um, but for me, it was... Um, I mean, I do think I did a good job preparing the audience. Like, I think I really took the steps, like the evolution of intimacy, just like you wouldn't want someone to walk up to you at a bar and be like, Hey, do you want to sleep with me? I mean, maybe some people would, but that might be a little too far, too fast for most (laughs) of us. I felt like I I warmed up the audience and, and kept on getting consent. Like, is this something that you want to know about? This is where we're going. And I did spend three years helping to create new new language around this. Mm. So for example, like sex magic is amazing and it's changed my life. And if I want to, if I want to go to like Dallas, Texas or Oklahoma and Mm -hmm. do a workshop in this, I think calling it sex magic might create more of a contraction because the word sex can be inflammatory. The word magic can be confusing to people. And so instead we're simply calling it pleasure prayer where it's like, yeah, you're using your pleasure to pray. Um, and, and so the whole movement is called sacred secret, which, which I hope like and helps people to lean in. And, and it's just very simply this idea that we can use the most creative force on the planet to manifest whatever we want. Mm-hmm. And 
And so that it's been really fun. Um, but how I prepared myself personally for it was just like coming back to the truth, coming back to the truth, tell the truth, tell the truth. Like this is who I am now. I don't want to hide who I am. I don't want to pretend to be someone who I was three years ago. And I think that authenticity and truth, people always appreciate it. Even if they don't agree with it, even if they don't like it, there's an appreciation and a respect for it because it's true. You know, like mm -hmm. the truth feels good in our bodies, even if, even if we don't prefer it. Mm -hmm. And so that has been very liberating. Yeah. I mean, when we're authentic, it takes less energy to manage. There's no protector parts that are taking up energy because it's trying to protect, you know, it's like, if I'm authentic, I've created an intrinsic sense of safety and, mm. and I probably have resources in my environment that help me to feel safe as well. Mm. And, and I think there's something really magnetic to that. People want to be around authenticity and openness so that they don't have to be managing all these fears and shames and parts inside too. Totally. And then that magnetism is the name of the game, right? Like that's what we're doing. That's why the sexual energy can be a manifesting tool is because it quite literally is magnetic. You're utilizing mm -hmm. the, the electromagnetic field around your head, your heart, and your hoo-ha to magnetize <laughs> the things that you want to bring in. And yes, we're using head, heart, and hoo-ha, which Regina is like, come on, girl, just say the P word. I'm like, I am all for it. But again, I got to know my audience and I really love alliteration. <laughs> That's important too. The difference between authentic and knowing your audience, how can we be authentic and still use the terminology that would um, that they would understand or that they yeah. would be receptive to? Because if we're trying to, we, we don't all live in a, what do you call that? Echo chamber that wouldn't help this work spread. Yes. Yeah. We don't need to preach to the converted Right. And I think this is one of my gifts is to help to bring esoteric concepts to mm -hmm. a more mainstream audience. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I want to, and it felt like very clear that that was the imperative I was getting from nature. It was mm -hmm. like, Hey girl, you know what you did for meditation for 13 years? You know, you helped to bring it to a mainstream audience. Well, now it's time to do that for sacred sexuality. Mm -hmm. And so here we are. Here we are. Here we are. And, and I heard the, go ahead. Oh, just this weekend, I'm, I got invited to host um, a workshop for Mind Valley, which is, you know, they have like millions and millions of followers and the workshop is called sex and manifesting. Mm -hmm. So I was like, all right, giddy up. Like it's, it's go time. We're, mm -hmm. we're like just on the cusp. Yeah. I love this. And I, I keep hearing that word manifesting. And we, we both have the friend, our friend, uh, Reagan, who does manifesting. We've got a couple of friends who do manifesting. And why do you think it's such a popular word right now? And then mm. what makes the difference between you know, manifesting that works and, and manifesting that doesn't? Ooh, great question. So yeah, manifesting, I, I've actually realized my friend reflected back to me. She's like, Emily, you actually have a, a manifesting company. You teach manifesting with meditation and mm -hmm. now you teach manifesting with sacred sexuality. And I was like, you're right. Cause manifesting is part of the Ziva technique, right? It's mindfulness, meditation and manifesting. And now sacred secret is helping people to use their sexual energy to manifest. So what I've been doing for the past like five or six years is teaching manifesting from the neck up it's, and, and it works like thoughts do become things. And I've found that again, if you get your head, your heart and your hoo-ha all in coherence with each other and pointed towards the same thing, you can speed up the rate of the magnetism. You can speed up, um, like 
your ability to vibrate at the same frequency of the thing that you are desiring. Um, because if you think about it, erotic energy, like what is Eros? It is the thing that holds the entire universe together. It is the thing that holds a double helix together. It is the thing that swirls the, the galaxy around itself. It's almost like gravity, but we all need that Eros. It's what attracts us to, yes, a lover, but it mm -hmm. can also attract us to the thing that we want to manifest. Mm -hmm. And so to answer your question of manifesting that works versus manifesting that doesn't, I think that that has everything to do with your state of consciousness, because you could do all of the steps, right? You could watch the secret on repeat. You could line your walls with vision boards, but if your body is in a state of fight or flight, if you are chronically stressed, then one, your body doesn't have the bandwidth to truly, um, like feel into the desire. You don't have the, the bandwidth available to feel the five senses reality of the dream because your body is too busy protecting itself. So step one is regulate the nervous system. And that's what we do at Ziva, right? We teach people to de-accelerate the nervous system so that the body can come into coherence. Mm -hmm. um, now, the other piece to that, if you want to take that a step further, so when I teach manifesting with Ziva, it's like we meditate first, we flood the brain and body with dopamine and serotonin, and then we manifest from that state of consciousness. So that really amplifies it. But now with Sacred Secret, we're dumping oxytocin, norepinephrine, adrenaline, like a whole new level of internal chemicals. So you're changing your state of consciousness mm -hmm. that you are manifesting from. Mm -hmm. So here's my formula. The simplest formula I know for manifesting is feel good, place the order, place the order, feel good, feel good, place the order, place the order, feel good, feel good, place the order, place the order, feel good. And that's a simple formula, certainly to, to remember, but it's much more intense to execute on because feeling good does not mean bypassing. It doesn't mm -hmm. mean faking it. It doesn't mean pretending that everything is in love and light. It means doing whatever it takes to sustainably raise your vibration. And sometimes that is trauma work. Sometimes that is therapy. Sometimes that is cleaning up your lies. Sometimes that is exercise. But it's like whatever you need to do to uplevel your chemistry set so that you start to vibrate at the frequency of your dreams. Mm. So the manifesting that works and manifesting that doesn't work, I would say is your state of consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. I would also add in there as a, as a trauma therapist, there's a practice called glimmers and glows and glimmers is our ability to consciously connect with something in our environment that has an expanding sensation in our body. Okay. And then when we stay focused on it or we savor it a little bit longer, that helps the nervous system to recondition itself, to, to um, stay in a regulated state. So that is pleasure, that expanded sense, even if it's a little bit. And we want to stay on that to, um, you know, to help the, the body to move it towards that direction. Um, I would leave my windows open and hear the birds outside. And that would be my cue for glimmer and glow. I would catch it, stay with it, and then feel how my whole, the whole rest of my body would follow with that. And so mm. pleasure has a very scientific reason why we need to be doing it because it helps our nervous system become healthier. Mm. Yes, I love that. Like ways to insert 
moments, little moments yeah. of putting your attention on the thing that you want to grow. Uh-huh. Because again, so many of us have been trained to problem solve, to look for the trauma, to look for the bad, to, to well, I don't like the way I feel. So let me find the problem and fix it. Yeah. Um, which is very masculine, right? And so it, it, we're, we're problem solving. We're looking, we're hunting and we're fixing. We're yeah. hunting and we're changing, which is different than can we soften? Can we let our attention rest on the most pleasurable thing in the in the environment right now? Can I breathe into that? Can yeah. I allow that to change my, can I allow that to be receptive in my body, mm-hmm. allow it to change my frequency and my vibration? And then by you up-leveling the amount of pleasure, by you up-leveling your state of consciousness internally, you become a magnet, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a bit more feminine to receive the thing to come to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said at the beginning of this of this um, call, and even before our call, we were you and I were also talking about you know we're doing a lot of work on ourselves to 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 grow bigger, you know, and and, and um, that doesn't mean that we won't be met with challenges in our life. No, as a matter of <laughs> fact, it means it's probably going to speed them up. <laughs> so like, oh, you wanted the advanced curriculum? Here you go. <laughs> So for everyone out there who is doing this work, I you know I just want to remind you that uh, to be careful with narrating that because you're met with a mirror outside of some challenge doesn't mean that you're that uh, that you are low vibration that there's something wrong with you that you're being met with life challenge here. It can also mean you are ascending, you are growing, and you are just going to be met with people who want your power and you're going to be met with situations that want to test you if you're going to sell out your own power for a an illusion of safety or an illusion of power coming back to you. So uh, I'm reminded of the archetype of the of the prostitute, the one who uses her own self, you know, their own self to sell for something they think that they're going to get, but they're not necessarily going to get. Mm, fascinating. I'm reminded of, of a story. So I interviewed Dr. Um, or I guess Reverend Michael Bernard Beckwith for yeah. my podcast. Why isn't everyone mm-hmm. doing this? Which by the way, that in and of itself was an amazing manifestation moment because he is one of my heroes. You know, I watched The Secret when I was 22 there years old and just, he feels like he's just such a living legend and his energy is so contagious. And so when he said yes to being on the show, I started crying. I had to pull my car over because I was crying. I was so excited. And then I looked up and I was on ISIS drive. Um, so ISIS is a huge figure in my life. I mean, I've got like a, a statue of her right here on my desk. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so of course I was on ISIS drive as this like, you know, felt like a dream come true. So anyway, I, I interviewed him a few weeks ago for season two of the show. And, and he told this story of um, how he got arrested for dealing drugs. He was selling pot. He got arrested and he's in court and they're, they're doing a whole trial because it was not like a small amount of marijuana. It was like a lot. And he's in court and they're, everyone's doing, he said, it was a play. It was like a whole play happening about me. He's like, but I wasn't putting my attention on it at all. I was reading a book. He was reading like some spiritual book. And, and then up above the, the judge, it said, in God, we trust. And he's like, I was just reading this book. I was just trusting God. And I was just putting my attention on what I knew my life was going to be life, like next. And by the way, the day before he got arrested, he said, I'm done. I'm never selling drugs again. I want my life to change. And then the next day he got arrested. And so he's like, I knew I was done. I'm moving into a new chapter. So he's just putting all of his attention on this next phase. And so that felt like it's an opportunity that when we get those challenges, which we will, the question is, 
Not like, do we not feel it? Not do we let it destroy us, but it's that fine line. It's that masterful line of towing the edge of, I'm going to allow myself to feel this, to acknowledge it, to accept it as the current reality. And then I'm going to choose to put my energy on where I am going, Mm. right? we, We choose to put our attention on the new earth that our hearts know is possible, the new earth that we want to birth. And that's why I'm so lit up about this work is because I see how powerful it is. Like I see how quickly you can manifest things. And yes, that's great great for each of us individually, for each of us selfishly. Yes, you can make more money. Yes, you can call in the person. Yes, you can manifest the house in three days. All of that is real. And the thing that really- I did, yeah. (laughs) The thing that really lights me up about this work is creating a big collective antenna, like getting lots and lots of people in coherence with themselves and each other so that we can pray together, so that we can really hold a vision for this new earth that we want to birth as a species. And I think that, you know, the simple rule of manifesting is what we put our attention on grows. And so if all we're doing is like, we got to fix this and this is wrong and this is broken and this isn't right and this isn't sustainable, we're watering the weeds. And the beautiful thing that comes from these states of heightened bliss and ecstasy is that it's virtually impossible to water the weeds, right? Like your state of consciousness is so heightened. It's so clear that simply to drop the seed of what would I love? What would I love? Hey, nature, how would you love to use me from that ecstatic orgasmic state of consciousness? It's like, that's why it feels like magic. It's not magic, but it can feel like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And to also recognize, oh God, I love that story. That story of of him being in the courtroom is also a good reminder that when we're when we're doing this work, that there can be a period of transition. Mm-hmm. And to can you hold and trust yourself and trust, you know, whether it's God or the world or the you know that you are moving in the right direction. Mm. Can you hold that? Yes. Even though the transition is happening, moving from what you just came in, like a divorce. You mentioned your divorce. Yes. Yeah. And actually, I very much use pleasure prayer through that process. And actually, the thing that the vision that I was holding when you and I met yeah. in the backyard, when I was crying and just in the literal dirt, um, the thing that the vision that I was holding was me and my son and his father and both of our new partners in a park by my house, like all celebrating my son together. And, yeah. and honestly, and I, I broke my own rule. Cause one of my rules in manifesting is that you have to believe that it's possible, yeah. right? Like I'm not going to manifest being in the NBA because I don't think that, I mean, one, I don't want it, but two, I don't think it's possible. <laughs> um, <laughs> but this dream, I did not quite believe was possible yet. And yet I wanted it so badly that I was willing to break my rule. And I just kept holding this vision. And then a couple months later, um, my partner, Adam and I were with my son in the park. And then I hear this person like call my son's name and it's his dad and his new girlfriend. And they've just gotten off a plane from Italy and all of us collected in the park. And then my son was about three at the time. And he just kept putting us all together and having us hug. Like he would literally physically put our bodies together and having us all like in a group hug. Now it was just so, so much sweeter. And it happened so much faster than I ever would have thought possible. And that's when I was like, all right, um, sign me up. Like I'm in. <laughs> I love your son so much. <laughs> He's the best. I love playing hide and go seek with them and just, yeah. 
I mean, that's a real parent hack, by the way. I mean, depending on the age of your kid, but they will hide in a closet for like a good 15 to 20 minutes and you can make dinner. Like you can finish <laughs> that last work email while they are delighted hiding in the closet, <laughs> especially if they're doing it with cat. <laughs> I, I know, I know. It's great. And it, it reminds me again, the, the power of play, but also like, you know, this whole concept of, um, we are God, we are divinity. We are you know, playing out as if we've, aren't, you know, this, this forgetting this hide and go seek this, this, I am this, I'm, I'm going to pretend like I can't find myself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's like, that's all we're doing. The great cosmic game of hide and seek. And I I think one of my, the quotes I'm most proud of is I took my 16 years of studying the Vedas and concentrated it down into one sentence. So here's the Vedas, according to Emily, Uh, the one became two for the joy of becoming one again. Like we forgot because it's really fun to remember. <laughs> and so like that is the game of hide and seek. <laughs> oh wait, I am God? Oh, wait, and so are you? Wait, and so is sex? And so is death? And so is rock and roll? And so is gardening? Wait, it's all God? Amazing. <laughs> what a dream to remember. Okay, it's funny that you say rock and roll, you know, because it's 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 like it, we know that all of this is sacred, all of this is divine. You know, the the ecstatic states, the pleasure, the sex, the fun, the rock and roll. I literally wrote that in my notes today, and and yet there's still a lot of judgment and stigma around these very things not being spiritual. We have seen pantheons across the world have deities that embody these aspects you know the yeah. drunkenness the ecstasy the <laughs> like the hedonism. the hedonism and it is divine mm. well so i i have so much to say on this i feel like you're the <laughs> perfect person to like float this idea with okay because as i've been studying internal family systems and doing parts work on myself and just for anyone that, that, that that's new to them, it's the idea that, you know, instead of being like, I am angry or mm-hmm. I am sad, it's like, there's a part of me that's angry right now. There's a part of me that's sad. And even just that, like uncoupling from my identity being exclusively one thing allows a level of liberation and freedom. And I would say even freedom of expression. Like if I can say there's a part of me that's angry, then I can give that part the microphone and I can let it be heard versus judging it as a a bad or dark or wrong or a sin. Mm -hmm. And so I'm so curious what happened to human psychology when we as, and obviously there's many different religions in the world, but like what happens when most of the spiritual ideologies had multiple faces of the divine? Right. Mm. When there was a a mischievous God and a God of hedonism and a God of war and a God of commerce and a God of abundance um, versus just like one white dude with a beard in the sky judging you as bad for masturbating. It's like, wait, when did that become like the exclusive thing, like this monotheism? And it's not that one is better than the other. I'm just really curious as to what happened to our human psychology when we went from many faces of the divine to one face of the divine. Because if God can be in many different archetypes, then I can see the divine inside of many different archetypes inside of me. Mm -hmm. And so I think, but if we just have one God that's either good or bad, right or wrong, then we either judge ourselves as good or bad, right or wrong. And I think that interestingly, it makes us not face a lot of the things that do want to be loved into whole 
wholeness, like our racism, like our misogyny, like our homophobia, like the pieces that maybe we don't want to admit, but we've all Mm -hmm. been swimming in. If we could compartmentalize that a little bit, I think we could express them more and then integrate them into wholeness. A hundred percent. And Eros is wholeness. That's what Carl Jung says. Mm. Eros is wholeness. Eros is aliveness. Mm. And to return to wholeness, we uh, not only do we pay attention to where we are alive, but where we are uh, dissociated, where we are also low, you know, like feeling low, where we are dampened. So instead of dissociating from those parts, can we invite all of them? And that is our, our internal power our, you know, access to our own divinity, not when, and here's IFS, when we're blended with the part and identifying from that part as I am shame, I am depressed. It is separating that so that we can develop a relationship with it. And then mm. ultimately gives us the power back rather mm. than giving us the, the condition, the, the condition part, that power. Can you say more about like, Eros being wholeness, because I always understood it as like the the polarity, the duality, and then the magnetism of it. But I just want to understand that more about Eros's wholeness. Yeah, Eros's wholeness is. I mean, look at when we step into our um, power, or when we release some of these conditions, we have access to higher um, life force energy, vibrancy, aliveness. You know, so the the more we come into our wholeness, the more that we stop shaming and exiling these parts of ourselves, we become more alive. Our nervous system becomes healthier. We we find energy that we've been depleting because of our protector parts have been running the show. And mm-hmm. so Eros as this um uh, reminder of that. You know, if if you want to parse it out to, there, there's many different theories, right? This is just uh, Carl Jung in the way that he interpreted this with archetypes and, you know, mm-hmm. all these different parts of ourselves inside of us. Um, we want to move towards aliveness. And that's what, that's what Arrow says. So we're doing this work to mm. access more aliveness. And aliveness. If, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, um, if you want to say masculine and feminine, those are just two archetypes of wholeness. You know, mm-hmm. we see that in, in the tantric tradition as well. Two of one, there are two aspects of the same one. So it's, I think they're very similar concepts that, that are just, I don't know, described slightly yeah, differently. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah beautiful. Yeah. Thank to reach you. the audience. <laughs> they're speaking yeah, to like, who am I talking to? Oh, yeah. And at what time? What does the audience need to hear? Right, right. And it's also interesting to see um, because you, I know you have also been diving into the ancient world and the relationship with um, sex and, and um, in, uh, both of us in the psychedelics and, and um, you know, fertility rights. The interesting thing to see, um, I think this is tying back to something you said earlier, the sexual revolution and the psychedelic revolution We have been seeing sexual revolution happen every 50 years, approximately every 50 years, there's a new sexual revolution. We saw this in the 60s and 70s. Um, We saw this in the roaring 20s. We saw this in the, I don't know what's 50 years before that, (laughs) 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 Um, uh, 1850s. So (laughs) there's the, you know, this is, or 50 years, whatever. I can, I'm not a mathematician, but oh, good. <laughs> you get what I'm saying. You, if we look at each of these things happened immediately after a world, uh, 
tragedy and trauma and suppression and and um uh low vibrancy you know where we had to go mm. into survival and then the revolution came after that coming into our power coming into our self-expression coming into hedonistic um exper experimentations and then we go back into another cycle of puritanical like like how do we you know get rid of this again you know we even saw this um, you know, with the AIDS crisis in the eighties, you know, following after this, this, you know, finding our power. So I, I wonder, you know, if this will continue to be a cycle and as we're stepping into this, um, mm. the ancient world saw very similarly, there are periods of, uh, psychedelic use and sexuality and fertility and, um, in the temples and the, the Dionysus tradition and the Eleusinian mysteries. And then there's followed by destruction and, and conquest and, and crusades. <laughs> and the crusades. And so, you know, how do we, how do we break the cycle? Well, yeah, do and do we? Yeah. I mean, I certainly don't know the answer to that. I don't know if we can break the cycle. However, if we're going to, it feels like the, the things that are new, and the things that are speeding up exponentially that we have not seen in human history are certainly AI. And so this is going to change the game. Um, we've not seen the internet or anything of the ilk in human history. So the ability to spread ideas, the ability to spread information. And now with AI, like to fake misinformation as well, you know, so it's, um, you know, the, the, the tool is more powerful. It will be used certainly for light and dark in mm -hmm. equal measures. Um, but to me, it feels like AI is going to um, exponentially increase the rate with which we are spreading information around the world, which reminds me very much of the mycelial network. Yes. Right? So it's like we are dancing with, merging with, utilizing this mycelial network in new ways. And so it's interesting to see how that will impact AI and how AI will impact humanity. So our, our mutual friend, Jerry Simpson, I interviewed him on the show as well. He's brilliant. He's developing his own AI and feeding it uh, indigenous wisdom because he believes that, you know, AI is smarter than us and faster than us. So he's like, if we can feed it this indigenous wisdom, it will get to the idea that the only, the only way forward is win, 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 that this zero sum game is an unwinnable game. And since most of the AI is being funded by military, that we really need to have AI that is being fed in indigenous information mm. and wisdom. So anyway, long story short is that Jerry's theory is that AI is going to be very similar. It's going to impact consciousness very similarly to fire because pre-fire, we had to digest our food in our bellies. Like it mm -hmm. took so much energy of the body to, to pre-digest the food. Now, once we discovered fire, it's like, oh, the fire is helping to digest the food. So all of that blood and energy that was my, that my stomach had to use was able to go up into my brain. And that's when humans started writing. That's when they started reading. That's when they started passing down um, like stories from generation to generation so that we could evolve intellectually. Mm -hmm. Jerry believes that as AI will start to do computing and information processing much better and much more quickly than we can with our brains, we will outsource that. And so all of the mental energy that we are now spending even communicating, storing, and processing information, that energy will be freed up. And he's predicting a huge surge in consciousness that we will start to become almost extrasensorial as if we are on mushrooms, as if, mm -hmm. you know, you look at a human brain, 
on mushrooms and the whole thing lights up. You look at a human brain on meditation and the whole thing lights up. So his prediction is that when we have this surge of available resources in our brain that will allow us to put more time on things like meditation, telepathy, um, you know, so all the like sort of esoteric arts, because we're not going to be so mired in the facts. Yeah. Yeah. Which we do know some of the monks who do this every single day, they do have access to those. Yeah. I mean, it happened to me even on like a five, on a five day darkness retreat, I started to have, um, trans visual sight. Uh Like I could, I was in pitch black darkness, but I could see outside. I could see the trees. I could see the stars. I could see all of my toiletries on my bed. I thought they had opened a window on day five to like prepare me for like my day that I was coming out. And I was like, no, Emily, it's still pitch black, but I could see. Yeah. It was wild. Yeah. Yeah. I love this. And so I think, you know, a lesson from, from that, from Jerry is also to remember like with the fire, when Prometheus brought the fire, there was, there was power now with man, but there was also destruction. And so with the increase of AI, with the increase of these technologies, how are we taking responsibility to, to care for that, you know, to, to see how it's used as our sexual, um, as we step into our sexual uh, revolution in our own power. How are we taking responsibility for that? Yes. Oh, thank you for saying that. I just watched Oppenheimer two nights ago. So I'm really happy on the Prometheus idea. And we talk about stealing fire, talk about using power for, you know, for light or for dark. Yeah. And so just thank you for drawing that analogy that, that sexual energy is that potent. It is that powerful. It can be that healing. And we're swimming in a society that is living proof of how destructive it can be. And mm-hmm. so I mean, I think that any sort of bringing consciousness is a step forward mm-hmm. and we want to take care to really recognize the potency and the potential with the power of sexual energy. Mm-hmm. And, and psychedelics, right? Yes. And then especially when we combine the two of those Ooh. together. <laughs> I am on fire. <laughs> yeah. Emily, this was amazing. And I knew it would be. I, I'm like, just looked at the time and I was like, and yeah, of course we're, we're done, but we're not done. <laughs> we went into a wormhole. We went into a time warp. Yeah. We collapsed time. <laughs> Welcome to our life. <laughs> so how can people find out more about you? How can they find their work and come into the, the sacred secret? Mm, yeah. So everything is at zivameditation.com. And uh, Ziva is a Sanskrit word that means bliss. Um, so it's Z-I-V-A. So people go to zivameditation.com. They'll find everything. All of the sacred secret retreats are there. And we didn't talk too much about meditation, but I really think that meditation is like, it's the foundational tool that is going to make all of this so much better. Any, yeah. any experience with psychedelics or sacred sexuality, certainly your manifesting practice. I think if you have this foundational tool of meditation, it can help you prepare, it can help you integrate. So there's a free masterclass that people can get if they go to zivameditation.com slash podcast. Mm-hmm. And that goes deeper into the science of why meditation and specifically Ziva is such a powerful tool to help with things like sacred sexuality and psychedelics. Mm -hmm. And it is really powerful. I took it. And anytime I'm hanging out with Emily, we'll be on some random adventure on like a bus going down to, I don't know, some like Mayan ruins. And and she'll be like, I haven't meditated today. And we're all like, okay, let's do it. You know, we're in the back of the bus, like the cool kids. Yeah. Just like cool kids meditating in the back of the bus. (laughs) (laughs) But it really 
everything better. Like, I honestly don't know why everyone isn't meditating. That's why I named my podcast. Why isn't everyone doing this? Cause I'm like, you guys, like I found the key. I found the key to the kingdom. It's right inside of us. And all you have to do is close your eyes for 15 minutes mm-hmm. and then everything gets better. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause people are scared to be in there. And so thank you for ushering this in and being the invitation and being such a bright, vibrant, uh, magnetic and loving human, like truly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just believe that with you. And there's just so much sense of belonging with you. And I love you so much. <laughs> you so much. And I'm so proud of you. So proud of you in all the ways. And I'm so grateful for our friendship. So thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, me too. Well, that was fun. Thanks for tuning in, lovers. And if you want to experience more ecstasy and sexual liberation, head over to sexlovepsychedelics.com and learn about how you can join me for any one of my online or live events. And while you're there, grab my free guide on sex and psychedelics. Remember, this podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes only. Please contact your healthcare provider and local law before pursuing any of the products or psychedelics discussed. And one final note here, I make this show specifically for you. If you're loving the show, then be sure to leave me a review in iTunes or Spotify to let me know. Happy to be here and happy to serve. I'll see you next time on Sex Love Psychedelics.